So for about three years, I worked at Starbucks and I worked at a store that happened to have a drive-through. At these drive-through stores, they're typically fast-paced and they require speed and efficiency. But unfortunately, with this speed comes potential for mistakes at times. And so if someone came through the drive-through and they had a drink that was made wrong, we were ready to fix it. It wasn't uncommon. But sometimes people are convinced that they have been given the wrong thing, even if they had not been. And I remember this one time in particular, this car, it speeds up to the speaker box. And if you didn't know already, Starbucks actually has cameras on their speaker boxes. So when you're sitting there looking confused about how to say macchiato, they can actually see you. Anyways, she pulls up and is visibly upset. She states that she had just come through the drive-thru and she had ordered a venti sized drink, which is also known as a large. But instead of getting the largest size, she was given a grande, also known as medium. And she furiously speeds up to the window and begins arguing with the person who was at the window, trying to explain her frustration. She was so upset that we were having a hard time actually even understanding what had gone wrong. And she eventually feels the need to show us what had gone wrong. And at the moment, she angrily pulls the drink out of her cup holder and says, I ordered a venti, but you gave me a grande. And she was, as she was holding the cup in front of her and in front of herself, she realized that she had in fact been given a venti. The problem wasn't that we had made her the wrong drink. The problem was that in her car, maybe some of you guys can relate to this, her cup holders were actually, one was higher up and one was lower down than the other one. And so from where she was sitting in her seat, it looked like the drink was smaller than it actually was. The problem here was actually her perspective. And at that moment of realization, she immediately sped off as her face started turning red. Have you guys ever experienced a moment like this? A moment where you've had a difficult time understanding the perspective of somebody else, or maybe your perspective was not clear. Gaining the perspective of another person can be incredibly challenging. Is there someone in your life that you just can't seem to understand? Is there someone that maybe you actually don't want to understand? The truth is that you might not even care enough to try. Do you find yourself frustrated by a certain age group or a demographic? You just can't seem to understand why they do what they do. And the only thing that you can seem to understand is that you're frustrated by the way that they live their life. Perspective is a powerful thing. And I believe in order for us to grow in our faith and help others grow in their faith, we must understand the role that perspective plays. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. Jesus and his disciples were on the move. Jesus had performed a miracle where he actually cast a spirit out of a young boy. In the verses prior to this, they were on their way through Galilee and onto the next town, which is where we pick up here in verse 33. And it says this, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued about with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such a child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. In this interaction, the disciples had allowed for their own personal perspective to become primary, and Jesus is taking an opportunity to address and correct a wrong perspective that they had. This section of scripture, Jesus demonstrates the importance of perspective, and I'm going to share with you three key takeaways that I believe will help you evaluate your own perspective. The first thing is that it reveals that pride prevents perspective. Pride prevents perspective. In the verses leading up to this chapter and in the preceding chapter, Jesus had done something very significant. 
In chapter 8, verses 31 to 37, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus foretells his death and his resurrection. And I love that Mark writes, and he said it plainly. Jesus made it so obvious that Peter felt the need to rebuke Jesus because he had thought that he was wrong. So Jesus foretells his death and resurrection in chapter 8. But then he does it again in chapter 9, verse 30 to 32, saying, They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Jesus had laid out for the disciples a fairly clear picture of what was coming. But what we see here in these two instances, one of them, in fact, demonstrated beautifully by our good friend Peter, the disciples thought that they knew better or that maybe they had probably misheard Jesus or were too afraid to ask further questions. And so they carried on with their discussion about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Where we pick up in verse 33 would have probably been a moment of utter embarrassment. Jesus was asking them that question, knowing full well not only what they had talked about, but he also knew the perspective that he was trying to show them. The foretelling of his death and resurrection. The disciples had let their own interests, their own desires, prevent themselves from seeing what Jesus had wanted them to see. I can only imagine what that conversation sounded like. The disciples were young men. Some of them were even teenagers. I like to think of things that they might have said if they were teenagers today in 2022. One of them piping up saying, I post encouraging verses daily on my Instagram feed. Another one saying, oh yeah, well, I have three-week streak on my Bible app for daily reading. Another one saying, oh yeah, well, I paid for the person's order behind me at Starbucks, and it was like five drinks. And then another one saying, yeah, but I'm pretty sure I heard you say Jesus' name, and it was just after you hit your your thumb with a hammer. Have you ever found yourself saying things like these? Making comparisons to other believers? The disciples were actually raised in a culture not too dissimilar to ours. They grew up in a culture that reinforced the external demonstration of holiness and righteousness and prestige in their society. And these discussions were not uncommon to have like the one they were having on the road to Capernaum. Today, people are being canceled, unfriended, and shunned by people for what they say, post, or think on a particular topic and how they express themselves to our society. I think now more than ever, we live in a culture where everything seems polarizing. This polarization and increase in intense opinions has led people to desiring only to surround themselves with voices that affirm what they believe. But when we do this, we begin to believe more and more that we are right. And anyone who disagrees with us is in fact wrong. This attitude creates an inability to understand, an inability to see the bigger picture. And I think that this attitude is not exclusive to secular culture. Have you ever seen this attitude in your walk with God? As we mature in our faith, I think we can often fall into this trap, thinking that the way that we are doing our walk with God or the the things that we're doing in our walk with God are right or maybe the best. Or maybe we do what Peter did, thinking that we actually know better than Jesus. When our desires and our greatness is the focus, we are unable to see what Jesus desires for us to see. We lose sight of the purpose. 
During the peak of the pandemic, I worked a dual role as our young adults pastor as the Food for Families coordinator at CityReach, which is our Broadway outreach arm to the community. And Food for Families is actually a program where we provide food to people who are low income, who are struggling to put food on the table for them and their families. Food for Families provides fresh produce and groceries for these families and individuals. But I remember one day in particular when someone pulled up to the curb in a Mercedes, and I automatically assumed that they were coming to pick up a hamper and bring to someone else who may be in need. But to my surprise, they actually got into the line for a food hamper like everyone else. In my head, I remember thinking, why do you need a hamper? You have a Mercedes. I was frustrated. And I let this frustration stew in me all day. Later that day, our Food for Families director, Sharon, and I were in a conversation where I expressed this frustration. And her response hit me right where it hurt, my pride. She said, the reality is, is that this pandemic has caused so many people to lose their jobs. Someone could have been making phenomenal money one day and now can't put food on their table. In that moment, perspective entered in. I was able to see that I had let my pride corrupt my view. I had to recognize that I'd only allowed for one view, my own. Upon putting myself in the shoes of someone else who had recently lost their job, instead of being frustrated, I began to feel compassion. Because humility provides perspective. Humility provides perspective. After Jesus had exposed the disciples' pride, it says in verse 35, And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If any would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. In most contexts, progression in something usually results in gaining more prestige, recognition, and praise. But Jesus rebukes that idea. It's like him saying, none of what you were talking about the road will make you great in the kingdom of heaven. No achievements will get you there. The wording here implies that becoming last of all and servant of all is actually something that must be chosen or initiated by the individual. Humility requires the sacrifice of pride. I grew up in a small town on the Sunshine Coast called Pal River. In order to get to and from Pal River, you need to take two ferries. And if you guys have ever traveled with BC ferries, you understand the pain that I say that with. The ferries all have pretty strict schedules that they follow. They leave at certain times and there's no reversing if you get there late. Something that my family used to do growing up is that when a ferry was extra busy and it seemed like people would get left behind because the boat was full, we would go up to the top deck of the boat to see how many people were left behind. And as a kid, I thought it was hilarious. All these people stuck behind. I remember yelling from the balcony, suckers, we would all laugh and make fun of the people that didn't make it. Until that is, we missed the ferry. Instead of laughter, there would be fury. There would be anger. Why couldn't they have waited longer? Don't they know we have somewhere to go? Don't they know we have to get somewhere? I tell this story all to say that when we actually choose humility, we don't have to wait to be humble to understand the perspective of someone else. This is why serving at church is so important. We don't just promote serving opportunities just because we need you, although we do. When you serve someone who is from a different age group, ethnic background, tax bracket, or is outside of your normal, it forces you to refocus, to think about what it must be like to experience what someone else is experiencing. Do you need to refocus? When you hear that baby crying mid-service, is your first feeling the one of annoyance or of compassion? I love the way the Gospel of Matthew actually puts this challenge. In Matthew 18, 3, it says this, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Children were marginalized in the ancient Near East and they were actually seen as lesser than. 
Jesus is saying, unless you take on the perspective of a child, that of humility and lack of care for social status, you won't be able to see what I need you to see. When we lower ourselves, perspective can be gained and God's purposes are revealed. Humility provides perspective and perspective produces compassion. One of the first things that they teach you when you work with young children is that when you interact with them, you shouldn't speak to them or have conversations with them while you're standing up. You should get down on your knees and meet their eyeline. Meet the eyeline of the child. This action of getting down onto the level of them is intentional. It's purposeful. It takes effort from the older, taller person in the interaction. And studies have actually proven that not only is this action of making eye contact with the child helpful for growth of trust, there are actually developmental benefits for the child's growth as a person and maturity as a person. This is why our next point is so important, which is discipleship demands perspective. A disciple is someone who is a follower of Jesus, someone who wants to look more like Jesus every day. Discipleship is that process. The process of becoming more like Jesus every day, spiritually maturing through spiritual disciplines and a deepening relationship with God. Spiritual growth and maturity is not unlike that of a child growing, learning, and maturing. In verse 36, it says, And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such a child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. The word used here that means child also means servant. He puts the child in their midst and then takes the child into his arms. Jesus is saying that it's actually not good enough to have the child just in your presence. We must actively and intentionally engage with them. In this verse, Jesus is using a child as an example of a follower of Christ. Listen, there are those around us who are new believers or people growing in their faith. They may be a few steps behind you. And sometimes I think that we can believe that just having them in our presence or in our midst is good enough. When we want to help someone mature in their faith, when we want to see someone grow in their relationship with Jesus, we need to be willing to take them into our arms. When there is that level of closeness, you begin to gain perspective through humility so that we can allow for compassion to enter in. We have families in our church who have children with disabilities, young adults who are on the verge of giving up their faith entirely. We have high school students who are battling with their gender identity and children heartbroken by the divorce of their parents. It is not good enough just to have these people in our midst. If you work with children or have children of your own, you will know that no child is the same as the next. Children require for those who care for them to be able to get onto their level, ask them questions, gain trust, and walk with them in order for their needs to be met properly. I was teaching my niece and my nephew how to swim recently, and there was so much fear for them attached to swimming. I could have easily just kind of treated them like any other child and said, it's no big deal, get over it and push them into the deep end of the pool. Just move your arms and legs, come on. But what was required was that I was to look them in the eyes and talk to them about what was so scary and begin to show them why it wasn't as scary as it seemed. When I dug a little bit deeper into their fear and unpacked why they were so afraid, I was able to use my experience within their perspective. And I believe it is the same when it comes to our walk of faith. We are called to go into the world and make disciples. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In order to do that, in order to achieve the mission that God has given us, we need to recognize that it, this gaining of perspective has to be intentional and purposeful. How can you know what someone needs if you don't understand their perspective? When we purposefully change our perspective, 
we become more effective in our mission. When we purposefully change our perspective, we become more effective in our mission. I want to challenge you. Where right now is your perspective skewed? Think back to earlier in this message. Who was it that you thought about when I asked you about who you have a hard time understanding? What do you need to do in order to gain the perspective of this person or people? I wanted to take this one step further. It can be easy to hear something and forget. On a Sunday, you can hear a message and just totally forget to implement it. I was thinking about a way that we could have a reminder somewhere that we look regularly. So if you look at your outline or in the description below and follow the QR code, it'll take you to a wallpaper for your phone that you can download as a bit of a reminder to be purposeful about your perspective. Listen, I don't expect you to keep it on there forever. What I would challenge you to do is keep it as your lock screen for just one week. As you go through your week, allow for that simple statement to remind you that Jesus came to this earth demonstrating this very thing. Maybe it seems like a big difference between the perspective you have and the one that you have a hard time understanding. But I want to remind you something. God operates on a plane of existence far beyond our own understanding, ability, and power. And he, God of the universe, decided that he desired to show that not only did he care, but he was willing to get on our level. God sent Jesus showing that not only was he willing to be present in what we were going through as humans, but that he knows the pain that we are going through. God didn't need to send Jesus, yet he did. It is as if Jesus got down on his knee to meet our eye line. Jesus coming to earth demonstrates how when you get on the level of those who are growing in their faith, walk with them, speak to them through their context and demonstrate humility, God will move. But what is required from us is purposeful perspective, the intentional lowering of yourself, your preferences or your tastes, so that God can move and he can use you to bring people closer to him. Ask for God to begin to soften your heart towards those that you have a hard time understanding. Begin to start developing that humility. Maybe you need to begin serving in our youth ministry or at our Food for Families program. But what I want to challenge you this week is to look at your perspective. Has pride polluted your eyeline? Does Jesus need to do a work in your heart? Because if we want to see people grow in their faith, it requires followers of Jesus who are willing to sacrifice their pride, their comfortability, and maybe even their preferences in order to see the next generation discipled and become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Maybe you're here and you've actually never accepted Jesus into your heart before. You're here and you feel as though you're all alone, that no one has ever been willing to get on your level and meet your eyeline. I want you to know that when Jesus came to earth, he actually wanted to demonstrate to you that he not only wanted to be with you in your pain, but he knows your pain. I want you to know that there's people here at Broadway Church that want to pray with you and walk with you, discovering what God's perspective for your life may look like. So why don't you close your eyes and pray this prayer with me? Jesus, I have been living my whole life with a skewed perspective of myself or the world around me. I want you to enter in to give me the proper perspective of your purpose for myself. I want you to enter in and show me what it means to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you made that decision today, I want to encourage you, connect with a pastor here at Broadway. There is a number on the screen that you can text, and we would love to text you back and get you connected here at Broadway with the next steps that are going to be best for you. Thank you so much for joining us for Broadway Church Online. We would love to see you next week.